0: Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ebert Knight.
1: And I'm Andrew Nichol.
0: And today on the show, we're talking about the details of the government's shared ownership scheme. So in the last episode, we introduced the first home partner. We went through some of the details, but as part of announcing the program, they have also released an example contract that you would sign with them, the shared home ownership agreement. And there are also a few finer details, which, look, I know that by the time I release that first episode, you're going to be texting into to 5522 with a whole heap more questions. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to get ahead of you. And we're going to go through some <laughs> of those details in today's episode. If you are thinking about potentially purchasing your first home with the first home partner, so buying it with the government. Now, we are very happy to welcome back Sammy from Opus First Home. And we're going to jump in. I'm going to ask you first, Sammy, what do you have to do if you want one of these properties. So let's say I'm like, yep, 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 I want to buy the property with Kaianga Ora. How do I actually go about applying for first-home partner?
2: Cool. So you head along to their website and you will need to sign a shared ownership agreement with Kaianga Ora. So that'll be registered as a covenant on the title that both parties will have to follow.
1: And I think one of the really important things to note about that is if both parties appear on the title you've got to remember that some people don't like living on the same street as Kainga Ora. And so, you know, but just purely because of the perception of sometimes the type of tenants that they get. And so you might see that um, because a property has Kainga Aura on the title doesn't mean that necessarily the house next door that you're looking at buying is going to have unscrupulous tenants. Not saying that tenants that are through or Aura are unscrupulous, but that is just a perception in the market out there sometimes.
0: And actually i saw this over the weekend on one of the facebook groups for property investors somebody was asking about how do i make sure that a developer doesn't sell other properties within a development to kainga ora and of course in that specific instance there wasn't a way to do that but the key message is that yeah some people are really anti-purchasing on the same street as this yeah. but if you're looking at that you may see down the street kainga order on a couple of titles it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a a kaianga or a tenant in there. So just watch out for this as you're doing your research in the future. But let me ask you this, Sammy, what else do you need to do if you want one of these properties? What are you signing up for if you buy with the government?
2: As part of this agreement, you'll need to meet with a kaianga or a relationship manager every year. So once a year you need to meet with them, they'll have a goals management programme. So they'll come and visit you at home, they'll make sure that you're A, living there, and you'll be on track to pay them back, and you're also keeping the place a reasonable state. But there's
0: also some things on top of that that you can and can't do if you sign under this agreement. What are some of the things that are standing out for you, Andrew?
1: Well, I think probably the main thing to bear in mind is you have got another investor and so you can't just go changing things. So you can't make renovations or redecorate without permission, which makes sense because to be fair, if you're going to make any major renovations, you have to get the bank's permission as well because they're also an investor in your house and the government has to protect its security. So if Ed buys a property and then paints all the rooms pink and then all of a sudden stops paying the mortgage and the bank has to sell it, the bank and Kayanga Ora, as other investors in that property, want to make sure that it's not going to be so offensive to anyone else that it's going to achieve a lesser amount. But the flip side to that is If you're buying a new build, which is a provision of this, you probably don't need to do much in the way of remodeling. You're not going to be knocking out any walls or anything like that. And remember, renovations are something you want to probably do after you've bought Kangora out, because if you add value to the property, you're going to be paying them out. their 10% or whatever amount they've invested on the renovation value increase. You also can't sell without permission. And again, because the government wants their money back, so you can't just sell it and pocket the extra money and think they're not going to find you. Ed, what can you do though?
0: Well, technically, you can turn it into a rental after three years. Technically, you need to get permission for it, but you only have to say that you're going to live in it for three years, and there isn't any strict permissions in the agreement. There's nothing that really stops you from turning it into a rental if you wanted to. But what we don't know is, let's say that you turn it into a rental after four years, and this would probably need to be tested. Maybe it's a genuine reason, like you're moving cities, but you want to keep that property. What we don't know is how any of that rent is split. So let's say the government owns 20% of your house. Do you have to give them 20% of the rent? Well, it's not covered within this specific agreement.
1: You'd assume so, though, wouldn't you?
0: Well, you'd think so. But I think there are other ways that the government is able to control your ability to do other things. So, for instance, coming back to what you can't do, within the agreement, they put a limit on what you can borrow outside of this. So you can't refinance the mortgage above the original amount. So let's say you, you borrowed 600k, you can't refinance up to 700k unless you're buying them out first. So what I mean by that is, let's say you buy this property with the government, it goes up in value, you're like, sweet, I'm going to go buy an investment property. No, 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 Kind want to get paid out first before you do that. Let's say that you are moving city, you want to turn this property into an investment property and you want to go buy your own house somewhere else. Well, Kainga Ora can stop you doing that because you're not allowed to take out additional lending before you pay them out. It's actually specified within the contract. So, you know, it's it's probably a bit of a rare situation. I probably wouldn't encourage too many people to think about that. This is the way they're going to get their first investment property necessarily. You know, unless they're thinking that they'll refinance Kainga or out first and then they'll turn it into a rental property. But I don't think that this is going to be a stealth way that the government purchases a whole heap of rental properties. No. But let me ask you this, Sammy. Because I've gone down the legal rabbit hole. Under the provisions, you've got to do your best to buy out the government within 15 years. So how does Kaing or know whether I'm doing my best to buy them out?
2: Great. So they will ask you for your incomes each year and try to see that you're making an effort. So that kind of suggests that they will want to see some regular payments and purchases to them also a limit as you've just mentioned Ed about the shared ownership agreement and your home loan limit and a limit on any other debt that you might want to take on.
0: And I guess one key question as well is how do they figure out what the property is (laughs) worth at each time and of course valuations cost money so who's paying for each of them? So it's all based on an electronic valuation so whenever you decide hey yep I'm going to make one of these regular payments or regular purchases as Sammy just touched on. They'll order an electronic valuation to tell you what the property's worth each and every year. Because, of course, if it goes up, it's going to cost you a little bit more to buy out those shares. And so they actually pay for that electronic valuation, which is usually maybe, you know, it might cost $45 if they're getting a really good one or whatever it happens to cost from a velocity or from a core logic. And they'll cover the cost of that. But there is actually as well a dispute process. So let's say that the electronic valuation comes back and, oh, It's come out quite high, actually. What you can do is pay the $800 that it costs or so, $700, whatever it happens to be in your specific city, to get a registered valuation. And of course, that's probably the only instance when you're hoping the registered valuation is going to come out lower than the electronic valuation. But if you want to, you can pay for that if you think that the eval is higher than what it's actually worth in order to be able to set that at a lower rate. So that essentially buying out those shares from the government would be relatively cheap. I mean, there are a couple of more details in there. If you want the full details, you know, go download the actual agreement because it specifies all the instances when you pay for the valuation versus them. But usually it's based on electronic valuations because that's going to be the key thing to decide, well, what's it actually going to cost me to buy out the government? Last question, though, Andrew, how might you use this as a stepping stone? Let's say that I'm a first home buyer. I want to use this as a stepping stone to get into my first investment. How might I use the first home partner to do that?
1: Look, I think this is a great way of people getting started when they don't have sufficient deposit, but they don't want to go to the bank of mum and dad, or they've you know they've exhausted those options previously, and mum and dad have said no. You know, this is a really straightforward way of having someone else give you the money towards your deposit, and you actually getting into the market without having to try and save enough just to keep up with the market. I'm seeing heaps of that at the moment. I'm sure Sammy is. People so desperate to get into the market, but they can't save at a rate fast enough to keep up with the increasing market. So, so it's a great way to just jump in, bridge that gap, buy your first home, not your forever home, and then sell that later on down the track, put that money into a new home, which might be you know a little closer to the forever home, and or start investing at that stage.
0: Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property, why don't you come along to our next webinar? That's happening tomorrow at 7pm, Tuesday 19th of October at 7pm. We're going to be talking about how do I use my investment properties to fund a lifestyle that I can actually live on? What's the exit strategy with property? So Tap or swipe over the cover-up. There's going to be a link in there. Or just go to openspartners.co.nz slash webinar. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight.
1: And I'm Andrew Nicholl.
0: And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you
1: get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next
0: time.